So y'all, again, my name's Aaron, Aaron Davis. Uh, I'm in the school ministry program at, at Bangor, Calvary Chapel, Bangor. Um, I've been in the school of ministry for almost six months now. Um, I'm in there, the pleasure of serving with Gabe, the worship leader who came up here tonight. Um, and we got a call from Will about four hours, five hours ago, asking if we could come down and uh, in season and out. So here we are. So I'll preface the same way my mom always does on every birthday and Christmas and say that. That way, if it's not good, you know I only had a few hours. And if it is good, then you can remember I only had a few hours, right? Um, regardless, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. This is just an amazing opportunity. So when I consider some of the great manly metaphors that we get in the word of God about our Lord, right there, I get pumped up. There's some amazing, amazing descriptive words that they use throughout the word of God. Uh, Psalm 18 verse two has a list of them, right? We get that he is my rock my shield, the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold, my fortress, my deliverer. All words that represent victory in battle, right? Psalm 84 tells us, for the Lord is a sun and a shield. Of course, Revelation chapter five, talking about Jesus Christ, tells us that he is the the lion from the tribe of Judah. Amazing descriptions of our God and exactly how majesty and uh, how amazing he is. But when it comes to how they describe us as humans, right? The descriptive words are a little different. The, 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 the comparison is a, bit, is a bit different. We're compared as sheep. The most pitiful, bullied creature in all the animal kingdom, right? Um, in Psalm 100, it says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 79, 13 says, so we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks. And Isaiah 53, everybody knows, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. Now, it seems pretty pathetic, right? I mean, when I think about myself, I think I'm more of like a a wolf, right? Or a bear. That's how my my animal creature. Uh, But the reality is, truthfully, our Lord, our creator, knew what he was talking about when he compares us to sheep. He knew just how similar those characteristics were when he compared us. Uh, to sheep, probably more than, certainly more than I realize, maybe more than we realize here tonight. One of the ways, and I'm going to go down through it, just a couple of points of how truly comparable and, and, and identical we are to sheep. So number one, sheep have no direction. In eastern Turkey, um, it was reported that 1,500 sheep fell off of a cliff when they were left undef- uh, uh, unattended because their shepherd had gone off to, to eat breakfast. Now the first 400 fell to their demise. And the remaining 1,100 actually survived because the 400 broke their fall. And what had happened was the sheep in the back couldn't see what was going on past the sheep in the front. And the sheep in the front couldn't stop because they were being pushed by all the sheep in the back. Reminds me of every public school system in America, right? We've all gone through that. (laughs) Number two is that sheep can't get up without help. Now, sometimes... Beyond anybody's understanding, sheep will do this thing where they roll onto their back, right? And they'll flail around like a turtle with their legs. And they call that being cast down. Now, when a sheep finds himself cast down without the help of a shepherd to come and roll him back over, right? He's surely going to die either from starvation or from a predator coming along. I can't count how many times that I've been cast down, right? And I would have remained that way had Jesus not come along and rescued me from my situation that I was in. 
sheep will settle for less. Now, sheep, they're quite disgusting creatures. They'll actually go and they will eat, drink from a, from a dirty mud puddle. And they'll do so as long as it's right there in front of them and it'll satisfy them. They'll do so even if clean water was only 20 feet past that dirty mud puddle. They'll choose the dirty mud puddle because it's the first thing that comes along that possibly could satisfy their thirst. They also will walk around, they're content with walking around filthy and they don't even realize how dirty they, they smell. They, have, they lack discernment, wise judgment, and they really rarely know what's good for them. They have to be led. Sheep need to be led. And the number four thing is sheep are valuable. In the ancient Israel, sheep, you were considered very wealthy if you had a large flock of sheep. Job was known to have owned over 14,000 sheep. Sheep would provide meat, milk, wool. They were used for sacrifices. They were high commodity. They were very valuable creatures. Solomon, when he was trying to give his grand gesture, his grand sacrifice, when he was commemorating the, the, the temple that he had built, he actually sacrificed over 120,000 sheep. Shepherds were willing to lay their lives down for their sheep because that was their finances. That was their means of income. That was their livelihood. Philip Kelleher, he's a shepherd in Canada. He also wrote an awesome book on Psalms 23. But he says in his book, he says, sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock. Endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Yet despise these adverse characteristics, God chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. Now, I don't want to get us caught up on this comparison about sheep and focus on the fact that we're just a bunch of dumb sheep, which we are. But the reality of it is, is that by comparing us to sheep, the Lord has actually used that and, and folk refocuses us in a beautiful way to recognize that if we are indeed just dumb sheep that can't survive on our own, that must mean we have an amazing shepherd, right? And that's what I think the focus is here today. Psalm 23 tells us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, Davis is, David is famous for not focusing on the fact that he's a dumb sheep, not focusing on his big uh, downfalls, right, and his sins and his transgressions, but to focus on how amazing his shepherd is. That's why he's a man after God's own heart, because he consistently focused, refocused on how amazing his shepherd is. And he repented and he moved forward. And he knew that he depended on that. And being a shepherd himself, David knew just how necessary it was for sheep to have a good life was dependent on how good of a shepherd that he had. Now, there are some pet owners, and we know them, right? Everybody has met the guy that been, you've been a neighbor of for a certain amount of time that has no business owning an animal or being in charge of the livelihood of any animal. I used to live with my mom, with my mom out in New Mexico years ago, and we lived next door to this guy, this guy Ralph. He had a dog that he would chain up outside in this wooden dog house and he would leave it there day and night and the dog would never do anything but bark all day long. He just barked, barked, barked. You, it made me so sad to watch this dog's existence just fade into that dog house every single day. We all know the, the type, right? They have no business owning an animal. But then we've also met the other side of the coin with pet owners, right? 
the fanatics. Some of which I, I truly believe that they breached into a, into a state of delusion so severe that they believe these animals are truly their children. They really believe that they're their kids. I saw one time a video of a lady and she's, she's walking through a park and she's got what resembles a staff. And it, at the bottom of it, it would look like an oversized hamster wheel. And it would, it would roll. And inside this hamster wheel was a perch where her cat was sitting on. All majestic and, and royal-like. And this lady's just walking through the park as though nothing's going on with her cat rolling along beside her. I saw one time this, this, these people, they had, they had built a, an in-law suite above their garage for their dog. This thing was immaculate. It had a loft apartment, up, up, a loft bedroom up above it. It had air conditioning heated and a big screen TV. It had voice commanding tree dispenser and dog door. Bark commanding. And I'm so bitter about it, not because they treated their dogs so well, because I've never and probably never will own an apartment that's that nice. This place was insane. And this dog's living better than I ever will. It's wild to me, and, and, and we make fun of it, but the reality is, if you were to ask those pets, right, who would you choose, owner A or owner B? The pets every time are going to choose owner B, right? They're going to choose owner B because they're going to live a life based off of how much their owner cares for them. That's what David's saying when he says, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He's not concerned about how stupid or how needy he is as a sheep. He's concerned about how good and glorious his father is as a shepherd. Right? So we're not going to be in Psalm 23. though. We're going to be in John chapter 10. And we're going to check out just the very beginning of it. Um, I'm going to read. We'll read through the first uh, three verses for right now. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, we must understand before we get too far into unpacking this little bit of scripture here that there are two different types of sheepfold. And in the scripture, particularly um, in, in verses one through six of this chapter 10, we'll be talking about the sheepfold that is the, um, it's kind of the, the, the city sheepfold. It's the village sheepfold, if you will. And then verses 10 on will be the countryside sheepfold. But in every village in ancient Middle, Middle East or ancient Israel, they would have a, a, a village sheepfold where the shepherd could come in and he would drop off his sheep. All right. And now this would be, it would be almost a communal corral. There'd be many sheepfolds in there. He wouldn't be the only flock that's in there. There'd be many flocks. So the way that it would work where he would bring the sheep up and he would line them up by the door. And then the shepherd would put his staff out and he would stop his sheep from coming in. And him, along with the porter, would then inspect the sheep. He'd check for bugs or parasites or anything that could possibly infect the other flocks. And then as each sheep is, in, is inspected, they'd let them go by. And then in the morning, the shepherd would return for the sheep. Now, the gatekeeper or the porter would recognize the shepherd. He would notice him from the night before, and he would invite him in. He was, he was the one who made sure that the sheep uh, stayed safe and nobody could come in and grab them. And the shepherd would take his flock, and he would go up to the countryside so that they could pasture. Now, a lot of commentators think that when Jesus is talking about the sheepfold here, that he's talking about 
a few different things that I don't believe is the case at all. Um, some commentators believe that he's talking about uh, heaven when he's talking about the sheepfold. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever because Jesus here says that some that do not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climb up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And we know that thieves and robbers can't climb into heaven some other way past God to sneak in. Other commentators will tell us the sheepfold is talking about uh, church or salvation. Well, Jesus will say later on, he will say that he, he leads his, he calls their name and he leads them out. We know that God doesn't call us out of church and he doesn't lead us out of salvation. So it doesn't make sense either. I truly believe that he's talking about Judaism as a religion when he's talking about the sheepfold. And I believe he's talking about that Judaism as a religion has kept his flock safe until the Messiah was able to come back. Um, I believe this for a couple of reasons. In, this, in the original book, in the original letter of John, there was no chapter breaks. There was no chapter 9 and chapter 10. So when we read this letter, and we read especially these first couple of verses, it's coming off the heels of chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus healed the blind man, right? And you remember the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the chief priests, they wanted him to give them some information on Jesus so they could get Jesus for, for doing this outside of the Sabbath, in, inside the Sabbath. And the guy said, I don't know anything about that. All I know is this guy made me, this, I was blind, this guy made me see. And they said, all right, you're out. They kicked him out of the flock. And then Jesus comes in behind them and he finds the man. He ends up indicting the rulers of the Pharisees for what they did. And he calls them out. And the Pharisees are saying, uh, are we also blind? He says, no. You, he goes, you say that you can see. So you're blind. You're going to die in your sins because you're claiming that you can see. If you knew you were blind, then you would be okay. On the heels of that, he's now talking about the sheepfold and talking about them hearing his, his, his voice. And the most, most relevant evidence that we get of that is in verse 16. When Jesus says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Of course, we know Jesus is talking about now. We know the end of the story, right? He's talking about when he dies and his church is born, and the Gentiles will be welcomed in, and they will all, we will all be under one flock with Jesus as the shepherd. Now, in verse 1, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, these thieves he's speaking of, they couldn't get through by the door. That's why he's saying they had to climb it another way. They couldn't get through by the door because A, it was locked, and B, it was guarded by the porter or the gatekeeper. That's why he was there. And Jesus, of course, we know he's describing the Pharisees, those people that are hostile toward the sheep and toward the, the, the shepherd. And the Pharisees of last chapter, they were hostile toward the blind man and toward Jesus. And we know that that's who he's talking to based off of the continuation of what happened in that, in that scene. But these Pharisees that he's speaking of now, or two now, they're just the most recent in a long line of false prophets and a long line of false teachers throughout Israel's history. And we, Israel has a has a the Bible has a history of of showcasing the different men of God that the Lord has spoken through to indict these false teachers, to attack them, and to call them out on their on their heresy. The three most prominent ones were probably Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And God will use these men in mighty ways throughout the Old Testament, the scriptures that we all know, to indict these false teachers, these false, false leaders, and the kings that would try to lead the people astray. Jeremiah chapter 23, the Lord says through prophet Jeremiah, he says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. 
because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done. Again, in Ezekiel 34, the Lord speaks woes in a similar way than he did with Jeremiah, but now speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. These thieves and robbers are not a new thing. It's not a new institution for Israel. It has a history of being infiltrated and infested with false teachers and false prophets throughout its, throughout the years. And Jesus is now on the scene and he's taking no regard in his indictment of all of these false teachers and calling these Pharisees out. We know the most famous is Matthew when he goes through saying, woe to the Pharisees and calling them out and eventually get him killed. But in this sense, He's letting them know they certainly are the thieves and the robbers that he speaks of. In verse 2, it says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep hear his voice. Now, in these, we, we spoke a moment ago about the communal corral, how the shepherds would come into the village scene, and they would drop their sheep off, their flocks off. Now, these flocks would be amongst three, four, five other flocks of other shepherds that have come in and done the same thing. And now these sheep that they drop off, they're not branded. They're not tagged. There's nothing to really identify them as a certain shepherd's sheep. We don't say the Aaron's sheep are, are one through 72 Gabe's or 72. Through, that's not how it worked. They, they respond to the shepherd and the shepherd only based off of his voice in a very similar way that I would, I would call my dog and he would know my voice and he would know my call to him. You know, when I go, come here, come here, boy. my dog will come running my direction. He's not going to go running to Steve when I call that or when Steve calls him because he doesn't know his voice. He knows my voice. I can remember times when you guys can relate with this, this, uh, this landscape that we have out here in Ellsworth and in the Acadia area. We have so many amazing trails and so many uh, uh, ocean sides and countrysides that we can go walk. And anybody who has a dog that loves to run and loves to go, we don't need to keep them close to us. The dangers aren't present here, right? We can let them run into the woods. But I can remember doing so, and I can remember my dog would be long gone. I have no clue where he is, but what I do know is when I give that call out, I can already start walking back toward the truck because I guarantee you my dog in moments is running out from that tree line, and he's coming to my voice. There was a story in a news clip about a guy in, in uh, Australia, a shepherd in Australia, who, who got arrested. Well, he got charged, and he got brought to court for stealing a sheep. Now, he claimed that he was just stealing his own sheep back. This is a true story. And the, 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 the plaintiff claimed, no, it's my sheep. So they get in front of the judge, and they're, they're having this thing out. The judge says, whose sheep is it? He says, it's my sheep. He says, it's my sheep. The judge says, all right, all right, that's enough. I can't. We're not, this isn't going anywhere. You say it's yours. You say it's yours. I don't know what to, what to figure out. Matter of fact, get the sheep in here. So she calls the sheep in, brings the sheep into the courtroom. The sheep's sitting there buying in the middle of the courtroom. She tells the plaintiff, the man who says that the sheep is his, rightfully his, he, uh, or says that the sheep got stolen from him. He goes out into the hallway. She says, go out there. And she says, call the sheep. The man calls the sheep. The sheep doesn't do anything. just stares at the ground. Then she tells the defendant, the man who says that he was stealing back his own sheep. He goes out to the hallway, calls the sheep. In a moment, the sheep turns on a dime and runs to the, to the hallway. She says, okay, that's your sheep. Guaranteed, that's your sheep. And the case was closed. 
Hearing our shepherd's voice is quite possibly one of the most important things, especially as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we can do. It depicts everything we do. To follow our king means we have to be able to hear his voice. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is going to make a very big deal about his sheep's ability to be able to follow his voice. And just this chapter alone, he says it here. He'll say it again in verse 5. He says, but they will flee from him for they do not know his, the voice of strangers. He'll say in verse 16, he'll say that they, and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And in verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he makes a very big deal of it because as sheep, our survival depends on following our shepherd and following him starts with being able to recognize his voice, being able to hear it and being able to be sensitive to it and recognize it in a crowd. Because I don't know about you, but throughout my life, I've got a lot of different voices that are fighting for position in my ears. I got a lot of different voices that are, that are trying to drown out the gentleman voice of my savior. Who's not going to scream over the rest. He's going to, he's going to stay steady. He's going to stay faithful, but I have to drown out the other voices to be able to hear him a lot of times. There's some ways that I've found that we can hear God speaking. The first way that I found is in his text. In the Lord's text, in the text that he left for us, we can always hear our, our Savior's voice, our shepherd's voice. We're so blessed that God left us and preserved for us this instruction manual that we call the Bible. It's amazing. It's the most uncompromised and accurate source of God's voice that we could possibly have. And he left it for us. And as Americans, we have it readily available at the, at the palm of our hand and every cell phone and every bookstore and every Internet access that we have. We have the word of God. Now, I love to be able to study for the teachings that I get to do. I'm blessed to do every week back in school ministry. It's an amazing honor to me. And no matter what I am studying for, our Lord, my Lord, our God, he shows up. He always shows up and he always speaks to me in amazing ways. But when I get time to just get alone with him, when I get those times where I can just get alone with me and the Lord's word and allow the Holy Spirit just to navigate where we go and just to speak to me in random ways without any type of a itinerary, or any type of a, a set course that I'm going to take because I have to get this done. When I can just allow the Lord to speak to me in that way, man, he still blows my mind in unbelievable ways. So much of my time is chunked up into little into little blocks of it that have to be devoted to specific studying. But when I get a chance to just get alone with him, it's an amazing thing. He's, I'll still end up in tears from the way that he speaks to me. The voice of the spirit speaking to my heart is another way that I can hear the Lord's voice. As I go through the word, as I meet him in his text and in his scripture, I can learn how to be sensitive and how to be familiar with that, what that voice is supposed to sound like, what God's voice sounds like in my life. Um, I can be familiar with how it, how it sounds when he's impressing on my heart to go and talk to that person, to go and do that thing, that way that he tugs and that he, he continues to weigh on me about something that makes no sense, but there's no denying that that's what's going on. There's no denying that he wants me to do something. And I can, I can either adhere to that, I can either be obedient or I can walk away. 
But I know with no uncertainty based off of the, reading the scriptures and staying in, 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 in communion with him exactly what that is. I learned that two things. I learned that his voice will never go against his scripture. And I learned that by reading in the word of God. I learned by, by studying the word of God and learning what his scriptures are. His voice will never contradict his scriptures. That's how I know what his voice sounds like. But I also learn how to tell when he's calling me to do things. When he's calling me to go and tell that guy that Jesus loves him. Right? I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what it is that he wants me to do outside of that. But I know that he's asking me to go and talk to this guy. So I go up and talk to the guy. Hey, man, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to bug you. I don't. I know you don't know me, but I serve a really big God and he's put it on my heart to come over and just let you know, man, he still, he loves you. He still loves you. And he's in the exact same place that you left him years ago. And then what happens? The guy starts breaking down, crying, man, I, I'm on, I literally am on my way to go commit suicide. I'm on my way to go relapse. I, I, I cried out to God an hour ago and said, if you, if you really love me, if you're really still here, you got to show me something. You have to show me something or else I'm ending it all. And the Lord uses me to go and tell the guy, Jesus, I don't have a clue why he's telling me. I don't know this guy's story. Paul tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. That's how he does his work. That's how he's used me so many times in the past. I've had no clue. He says, go, 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 buy, that, go buy that woman's coffee and get an opportunity to witness to her. And I'll go and say, ma'am, do you mind if I, I don't, I won't get within six feet of you. I'm sorry. But do you mind if I, if I buy that coffee for you? I'm not, no strings attached and nothing weird here. I just, I lived a crazy life. I lived a life where I would never approach you unless it was to somehow manipulate you or hurt you. And, and I served a God who saved me at that. I served a savior who brought me out of that, that bondage. And now I live a life where I am obedient to him and he's called me to come up here and just pay for your coffee. And just, if you have a couple of minutes, I'd love to talk to you about the savior who saved my life. Do you have a few minutes? Can I do that? And I got no clue what's going on with this lady's life. I have no idea what's going on with her. What I do know is that God is working on her the same way he worked on me and the same Christians that he parachuted into my life. And they had no idea what was going on with me, but they spoke words into my life that still blew my mind to this day. It's because they heard the word of their, they heard the voice of their shepherd saying, go, saying, go do that. Go talk to them. Don't ask questions. You may not even know the reason why you may die without knowing the reason why. What you do know is that you were obedient to the voice that I called you out for. It's an amazing thing. The more that we listen to his voice and the more that we're in a position to hear it, the more that he's going to, he's talking to us, the more that he's going to use us. And it's, at times, we're going to get these uncomfortable impressions, these uncomfortable urges. And I don't know if it's from the Lord. I don't know if these people are going to think I'm nuts. And truth is, they're probably going to think I'm nuts. And the truth is, it's also from the Lord. You know, I know this because, A, the devil is not going to send me to go tell somebody that Jesus loves him. And B, my flesh is way too wicked to care less if that person knows that Jesus loves him. So that leaves the Lord. So even when I don't understand it, even when I don't recognize the whole scheme of it, the whole the whole story, the whole picture, 
I know that my God is, is leading me out to do that. And it's a blessing. It's an honor as we continue to get to do that, to know when it is and to hear his voice say, that's you, Lord. Where do you want me to go? Right here. Let's go. It's an amazing thing. Another way that I can hear the, 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 the voice of our Lord is, is prayer, right? We can better hear our shepherd's voice and follow him with a healthy prayer life. Now, for me, that prayer life, it's, it's an intentional thing. For me, and I don't, for a moment, try to instruct anybody on how to pray. That's a personal thing. But I'll tell you about my prayer life. So I, I get up early in the morning because that's the time before my wife and my son get up. It's the time I can get along with the Lord. And before I introduce any distractions, before I introduce anything that's going to usher the world into my life, I get on my knees in front of my king and I thank him that he woke me up. I thank him for the grace that he gave me another chance at life and that this is another day that I get to thank him and show him how grateful I am. And then I drink my coffee. And after I've, I've, I've been instructed or I've had a conversation with my king, then I introduce the world. I look at the text messages and the missed calls and all of the different the, the news outlets. But I stay in my prayer. I have an intentional line of communication with God. And for me, it's with as much listening as there is speaking. I can remember I spoke to a, a man I respect in the face, a big brother in the faith. And I told him, I said, man, I, I, I'm praying. I'm praying hard, man. I, I want to hear from the Lord, but I'm, I'm not hearing from him. I don't hear anything. And he said, you ever try shutting up? Yeah. I said, what do you mean, bro? Shutting up. He goes, honestly, you, you, you pray. You pray about a lot of things. You're telling me that, but do you give God time to talk? And I said, well, that's a good point, man. No, I suppose not. I mean, I do prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, right? And that takes up pretty much all the time. Amen. <laughs> so now, as I continue to 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 Make my request known to the Lord through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. I also allow him time. And I just sit back and I just meditate. And I just allow the Lord to speak to me. And I just allow myself to be in the presence of God. Psalm 46.10 tells us, be still and know that I am the Lord, right? I attempt to do that in my prayer life. And it's been, I've been successful. It's, our line of communication has, has become two ways since then. Um. You know, we can, some examples that we can remember back in 1 Samuel, right? I think it's chapter 30, where David, he just gets back with him and his 400, right? And they find out that their families have all been captured by the Amalekites. And his boys are ready to kill him. You know, they're, they're, it, things are not good. I can't, I can't imagine the turmoil that was going on inside of his heart, as part of his men's heart. And David does the most important thing he could possibly do. He gets down on his knees and he consults God. He gets down on his knees and he said, Lord, what do I do? Do I pursue them or not? And God says, yeah, pursue them. He hears, he follows the, vo the voice of his shepherd. And it leads him to an Egyptian guy who's stumbling out through the desert, remember? They go get him. They give him food. They give him water. He gets his health back. They say, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a servant of the Amalekites. But I got sick, so they kicked me out. And they go, man, you think you can lead us back to where they're at? He goes, yeah, as long as you promise not to give me back to them, as long as you don't let them kill me, I'll bring you right to where they are. They go, they kill, they take out all the Amalekites, they get their wives and children back. And it's all because David got on his knees and he listened to the voice of his shepherd and it led him to where God had already set a guy up. He had already sent a guy on the journey to give David directions to where to go get his kids. But he needed to get on his knees and get into prayer. Another way we can hear the, the word of God, the, the voice of God is his hand of providence, right? God opens doors. God opens doors. Whatever it is that the Lord's voice is calling us toward, 
we don't need to kick doors in to get into those those rooms. If our God is calling us, his voice is calling us towards something, we never need to kick doors in. He will open those doors. But one way that I, I had to learn, I, I still learn the hard way, is how to hear the voice of God through his hand of providence shutting doors. I'm the kind of guy who will stand in front of a door for the next 30 years wondering when it's going to open. When the reality is God's speaking volumes to me by shutting doors along the way, right? This is this continues to happen. Um, verse 3 says that to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls them by name. This is one of the most influential facts about and characteristics about our savior that that resonates with me this kid who has screwed his entire life up for all of it the fact that he calls me by name and he knows me individually and he he knows how to deal with me exactly how is necessary when is necessary when to be tough when to be calm when to love when to push when to pull he's so brilliant and genius in the way that he knows us. My mother-in-law, she's a she's got one of the biggest hearts that I've ever met in my life. One of the things that I noticed about her early on in our relationship was how she embodied this role, this big mama role. If you guys know the type, she's all the kids of the neighborhood know who she is. They're all welcome. They want to show up for Christmas. That she'll hurry up and make shift a stocking and put it up over the, you know, everybody is welcome. And she takes in strays, if you will. She fosters in kids all the time. Anybody who's got bad home life, anybody who ran away from home, grandkids, nephews that their parents can't are in a bad spot. She's always got some kids that aren't houses full. The coolest thing about this woman is that she knows how to deal with every single person in that home specifically how it needs to be dealt with. She knows that with this kid, she's got to be soft and she's got to be cool. And she's got to come at her and, and, and just, just love on her. Be stern, but in a loving way. Cause she knows if she's too hard, that poor girl will go inside of herself and she'll, she'll fold in and she won't come out for a while. And she knows with this kid, she's got to be tough. She's got to lay the line. She's got to tell him, this is it. You do this and you're out. Because if he doesn't hear it that way, he's just going to push the, push the envelope and she knows that this one she's got to explain everything she's got to break it down and give reasons and give explanations because as long as she gets it as long as she knows the process and can understand the point of it she'll comply in a heartbeat tammy knows every single individual in that house and she knows exactly what they need and when they need it and that's why she's she's a big mama type our god is the same way our god knows us so well luke 12 7 says that he knows the very hairs on our head are counted. One of the stories that I love the most in, in, in the Gospels is the Jesus feeding the 5,000. One of the reasons that I love this story the most is because we all know the story. It's a very popular story, right? John, John chapter 6. But when he's feeding the 5,000, when, 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 the, when the disciples are coming back and forth, man, and they're freaking out. You know, they're, they're, they're bringing back the guys that come back for thirds and fourths. And, you know, and when it says, it says the verse, it says that everyone was, when everyone was filled. And in the Hebrew, this word filled, it's a word that describes glutton. 
And guys, you've been in this situation, man, at the steakhouse, at the Brazilian buffet, where you undo your belt and you're, oh, dude, no, no. They're like, do you want dessert? No, no, I can't. I couldn't have another bite. You're so full, you, you're going to explode. You just sit back and just take deep breaths. That's how full these guys were. Every single person, those 5,000 men, so conservatively, it was what, 9,000 men and women and children, 10,000 maybe. So it tells us that after everybody was filled, not only does Jesus know every single individual in their appetite, we're talking about the five-year-old girl to the 45-year-old man, we're talking about the family that hasn't eaten in weeks to the family that just had a sandwich on the way there, every single one of them had an individual appetite. And every single one of them was filled to the brim. Now Jesus says to his disciples, go and gather up all the scattered pieces. Gather them up and put them in the baskets. And the disciples said they filled 12 baskets, one for each of them. It didn't say that we got 11 baskets and then Mark's basket was, you know, about three quarters. So we all chipped in and we all ended up with every single basket was full. That means Jesus knew intentionally how much it was going to take for every single person on that grassy hill. To eat, including his his disciples. He knows us so individually. There's no, well, there's a lot of extra here. So it's to the last crumb he knows us. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite chapters and, and, and portions of scripture in all the Bible certainly is Psalm 139. 139, David says, For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my womb, my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Our God knows us so well. He knows us by name. He leads us out. He calls us by his voice. Our job is to hear that voice, to heed that voice, and to respond, and to be obedient. In conclusion, I want to talk to you about this. There's a passage in this book. It was an author by the name of Eric Buttersworth who wrote a book. It was called Chicken Soup for the Human Soul. It was a pretty famous book. It circulated through America for quite a while in the 2000s. Now, in this book, Eric Buttersworth, the author, talked about a sociology professor and wanted to do a case study. So he sent his, his students out into the streets of Baltimore, out into the slums of Baltimore. And he had his students go and inquire from 200 young men. And they were to write an evaluation once they talked to these young men about what they believed the young men's future would be. And of course, it was based off of their, the young men's culture, their education, their home life, the crime that surrounded them in, in the streets of Baltimore. 200 young men were interviewed and all the students came up with the same findings. They all decided that these young men were absolutely hopeless, that they had no chance for a future based off of where they lived and what they had up against them. Now, 20 years had gone by, and another sociology professor came across this study. And, of course, he became curious. He said, I want to know what happened. 
What happened to these 20 kids or these 200 young men? So he sent his students out there to go find them, to go see if they could track down these 200 men. He had their information. Now, out of those 200 young men, 20 had died in the 20 years that had passed. Now, there was 180 men left. Out of those 180 men that were deemed hopeless by all statistics and probability, 176 of them had very had achieved very successful lives. Some of them become lawyers. Some become doctors. Some have become businessmen, etc. So, of course, now it prompts the next question. What is the common denominator? How did all of these men that by all mathematical probabilities, you should have been hopeless. How did you, how 176 of you uh, achieve success? And every one of the men had one answer. They said it was because of a teacher that they had in high school. So, of course, the professor went and he, he tracked down the teacher. But the great Scott, she's still alive. She was very old at this point, but she lived in Baltimore and he tracked her down. And he talked to her. And, of course, he told her about the success of these 170. 174 young men, 176 young men, and they told them that they were very successful. And they said to her, what did you do? What, what, was, what was your secret? How did you get all these young men who were absolutely hopeless, who had no career past, they had no chance at life, period? So many of their peers were in prison or in debt or in jail or, or, or on drugs. How did these 176 make it? Because they had you. And she Eric, it describes that she had a glitter in her, in her eye and she, she started to crack a smile and she said, I just loved them. I just loved those boys. That's the only reason that she could come up with why it is that she was such a, a long-lasting influence in these young men's life. We have a savior. We have a God. We have a king who loves us so much that he came down And he dwelt among us. He gave us examples. He gave us his miracles. And he gave us his life. So that we can have the honor of giving him the rest of ours. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this text. For for the way that you lead us, the way that you shepherd us, the way that you speak to us and you intimately involve yourself in our lives. Lord God, none of us deserve it. None of us deserve anything that you've done for us, yet you did. Yet you did and you continue to every single day. Lord God, I pray that that you show us and you, you grow us in the ability to become sensitive and to become familiarized with your voice. I pray that, Lord God, that you give us the boldness and the obedience to respond to that voice, to be able to be your hands and feet, to be able to be your ambassadors as though you were pleading through us to a lost and dying world. Lord God, our time is short. We know that. So we pray, Lord God, that you you speak and that your voice is louder than ever. God, we thank you so much. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.